Okay, take two. Morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to the third day of the lecture series. Uh, this morning, uh, Professor Fekater is going to continue the theme of yesterday, and we'll be talking about the disequilibrium theory of price formation. Over to Professor. Thank you, Sandeep. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I will speak very little about the title now. And the reason is because Keith uh, will lecture on the same topic this afternoon. And I fully trust him that he will do a good job on it. So I just introduce the subject. And then I will refer to uh, an article written by Ludwig von Mises in the year 1965. This has been circulated. Make sure that you have a copy, just one page, the two sides of the one page. That's all. It's a short article. And I have written, it's not quite 50 years ago, but in anticipation of the 50th anniversary of publishing this, uh, in my opinion, very important paper, I wrote another one with the title The Gold Problem Revisited. And this one you find in the book. And it's in the back. You look up page number 19. That's where it starts. It's a, it's a couple of pages long. And I'm going to continue discussing this, because this is a, a longer topic. Please be mindful that the letter G is missing from this printout. The computer, which did the conversion from one system to the other, skipped the day when they taught the letter G in grade school. So, unfortunately, you will have to supply the missing G's. But that's the only, luckily, the only, <laughs> the only letter which the computer program has missed. So I start with the topic, this equilibrium theory of price formation, which is typical Karl Menger. He was the first one, a great pioneer, it's a great thought. He demolished the old structure of equilibrium theory of price formation, which prevailed until that time, unchallenged. So Menger challenged it, demolished it, but unfortunately, the equilibrium theory still survives. So yeah, lots of, a lot of school, including uh, almost 99% of mainstream economics, as it is being taught in all the universities of the world today, are based on the classical or neoclassical theory of equilibrium. 
but Mies, uh, but Menger, as I said, came up with a much better idea, which approximates reality far, far better than the equilibrium theory. And I already lectured on this on the first day that the uh, main idea of Karl Menger was marketability. And please learn the German word uh, for marketability because that's the original word used by Menger. Absatzfähigkeit. That is, that is the magic word. That's the key to modern economic thought, what came to be known as subjective theory of interest. All these mechanical metaphors of equilibrium discarded, and the human being is put in the center. So instead of these mechanical metaphors, it is an appeal to the individual, subjective valuation of the individuals. And that creates the uh, concept of marketability, and out of marketability we derive that there is not one so-called equilibrium price, but in fact two prices, the lower bid price and the higher ask price. And you build your price theory on these foundations. I, I cannot overemphasize the importance of this revolutionary thought. It's a breakthrough which created a, a brand new science. It's, it's uh, um, what we know today as the subjective uh, economics. So with this I sign off with that topic and let uh, Keith Weiner uh, do uh, the job on this starting this afternoon, right? And I now continue with what I mentioned already. The original paper of Ludwig von Mises was published in the year 1965, which was about six years before he died. He died in 1971. And uh, I mentioned that the gold standard died with him because it was the same year when President Nixon defaulted on the gold obligations of the United States, refused to pay. There were several international treaties, and uh, these treaties called for the dollar to be convertible into gold at the rate of $35 per ounce. And that was the foundation of the monetary system, which worked fairly well. It was not perfect, far from it, but it did work 
it kept prices in check, it kept interest rates in check, and there was fairly good world trade developing, and there was reason to be optimistic about the future. But it was all based on the gold convertibility of the dollar, and that carpet was yanked from underneath the international monetary system, and they, without any serious analysis, just simply assumed, all right, so now the dollar will be a paper dollar. What's the difference? People didn't have gold dollars uh, before 1971 either, so they'll be happy to go on uh, with the same paper dollar. But there were very, very far-reaching consequences, and this was one of the uh, more disastrous decisions that without any proper investigation, research, public discussion, they just went ahead and made what was a gold-based monetary system, paper-based monetary system, dollar-based, irredeemable dollar-based monetary system. And we are still suffering the consequences. It's very unfortunate. Now, when Mises wrote this article, he uh, called attention to the very grave problem which this uh, tendency of drifting away from gold opened up. And he, uh, this is edited, I edited it for the purposes of incorporating it into this course. But as it turned out, I didn't meet the deadline and I didn't want to hold it up further, so I call your attention that there is a, at, at the very beginning of your notes, list of articles. This is lecture one and there is a list of articles. Of course, we didn't go through this list. Uh, this is more or less reading assignment for you, but I did mean to include that paper on this in this list at the end. So uh, when you organize and you revise what we have done here, uh, when you go home, uh, please uh, fit that into that sequence of articles and and the uh, follow-up paper of mine, the gold problem revisited. So that is where this belongs. And I consider this one of the highlights of our course here in München. The, this topic. So I offer it to you. This is very, very recent. I just finished this uh, article 
a few days before we boarded the train from Budapest to München and uh, it has not yet been put on the internet so there it is I dedicated to you, my audience at this course and as I say there will be several occasions I will talk about this during the course today is the first one and there will be of course a question period and then we'll take up this topic again because I don't think I can uh, finish it in one hour and I don't want to push it either because I think this uh, is very important and I want to give full opportunity to every one of you to uh, ask questions, make comments and so on. So the Mises article tackles four problems. One, two, three, four, you will see it there. And they all, the all four problems have to do with the futility of the government to impose its policy on the market. The government does it all the same, but it's quite futile, and Mises explains uh, why it is futile and why it is doomed to failure. So the four uh, government policies, futile as they are, are as follows. First, inflationary policies of the government. The government, all governments, no exception in the, not just today, but in the whole history of our civilization, or even if you include oriental civilizations, I think that's just as true for them as it is uh, for our own civilization. Now, of course, there are differences. It could be more pronounced or less pronounced. But ignoring these minor deviations, all governments at heart are inflationists. They want more money and they want lower interest rates. These are the two. And the two go together. More money uh, is reflected in a lower or declining interest rate structure. So the government puts a policy in place to promote this so-called inflationary agenda. But it's going to be futile, as Mises explains. I will let you read this at home. I'm not really uh, trying to interpret Mises here. But I want to discuss these four policies which are doomed to failure. The second one is the policy of suppressing interest rates. Well, of course, the two are connected. The problem number one, boosting the money supply, and problem number two, suppressing the rate of interest. But it's just as well to treat them separately. So this is another 
point where the governments have an agenda. They want to push the interest rate lower. Not for altruistic reasons, don't make that mistake, that they want to help people to get out of debt or helping themselves to easier uh, circumstances, but because the government is the main debtor. So the government is looking for easier terms for itself. But Okay, that's beside the point. The point is that the governments are openly or covertly trying to suppress the rate of interest. The third one, the third government policy, the futility of which is glaringly obvious or should be, is a policy of boosting wages, the policy of trying to increase the wage level in society. Well, again, this may sound as being uh, a charitable thing to do. So the government takes it upon itself, that it's part of its mission to uh, help the indigenous, uh, the people who, don't, who have to work for a living and raise their family and so on. So puts a policy in place which will then make it possible for them to earn higher wages, as if it was as simple as that. But as Mises points out in this article, this is a policy which is again a complete failure. It's futile. Uh, and uh, you have to read it. It's, it's very clearly written and very easily understood. And I don't want to spoil your fun. You just read it and enjoy the, uh, the fact that you understand it without any special help from the outside. So that's number three, the futility of the policy of boosting wages. And the last one is uh, the futility of the policy of gold valorization. Now the word valorization is a technical word. word. What it means is that the government is trying to manipulate the price of gold. And one should keep in mind that it's not really the price of gold which is manipulated, but it is the value of government paper in terms of gold. The mirror image, you see. The price of gold can take care of itself. But the tendency, because of these government policies, is that the value of government paper, that could be paper money, but it could be also bonds or bills <coughs> or other evidences of government obligation, uh, have a tendency to fall because of these uh, mistaken government policies. So the government responds and starts manipulating the gold price. Uh, 
today this, there is a big uh, movement within the so-called sound money camp, which and even lawsuits have been filed and fought in court against the government or the central bank for manipulating the gold price and the silver price. I'm referring to uh, GATA. So many of you uh, will know that GATA stands for Gold Action Antitrust Action. Oh, Gold Antitrust Action Committee. And GATA sponsored a lawsuit against the uh, BIS. Bank for International Settlement, I, I or the Fed. I don't follow them. Yeah, no, you don't follow them. Yeah. It's not really worth <laughs> following. But the fact is that they did uh, go to the highest level. And the court ruled that the charge was frivolous. You know, I mean, that, that was to be expected. What else do you expect? The court, whose judges are paid by the government, they are not going to say that, yes, the government is guilty. Well, anyhow, uh, but the ethos of that we live in a system where the gold price and the silver price is being manipulated by the government is all pervasive. And I'm not going to take sides how much truth or how little truth uh, this uh, charge uh, has to reinforce it, but the fact is that uh, uh, there is some uh, manipulation on the part of the government and the central bank. And Mises recognizes this and he says that this is also futile. So as I say, you will read it and enjoy it, but I'm going on with my own article, which you have in front of you. <coughs> I'm missing a page, so... That's... that's no, that's... Jesus. Uh, of the lecture series. Could you get page 19, please? Okay. So I gave the title to my article, The Gold Problem Revisited. So I'm addressing the same four questions, which Mises does in the same order, and I add my uh, penny worth of wisdom to this. Oh, the last one. Okay. This one. Okay. <coughs> Thank you. I would like to start by saying that I am a great 
admirer of Ludwig von Mises and his economics. I am willing to uh, confirm that he was probably the greatest economics of the 20th century. And it's very far from me to try to take anything away from the great reputation of this great economist has. Well, of course, if I compare him to Menger, I cannot help but admit that Menger was the father and <laughs> Mises could be a grandson. But anyhow, that doesn't take anything away from his greatness. Mises is a great economist. So this should not be taken, what I'm going to say and what I have in this article, should not be taken as an attack on Mises' reputation. I am criticizing Mises, yes. But basically, what I'm pointing out are errors of omission rather than errors of Commission. So in other words, I am trying to fill in gaps as I see them in Mises' work. So that's the spirit in which I would like you to take my comments. I'm trying to fill in gaps because I do see these gaps and I think that it's important that we should fill these gaps. And once we did, then I think we have an even greater appreciation of Mises and his role in modern economics. So the first uh, comment I make is that Mises sets the question, or asks the question, why gold? Why is gold a suitable basis for money, that you can build a monetary and a credit structure on foundations of gold. And he gives his own answer, as you will read it uh, when uh, you have a chance. But I think it's important to point out what he doesn't say. Mises doesn't say. Why gold? Why not something else? Or why not a basket of commodities? Or a basket of commodities and bonds? Or what have you? Why gold? And nothing else. That is a question which Mises asks. But he didn't answer that question to my satisfaction. So I am starting by saying that it's gold for one very good reason, which I could concisely state as the marginal utility of gold declines at a slower rate than that of any other substance on earth. And that means substance means either commodities or uh, that instruments or 
assets of any kind. Now this is too concise, so in a course like this I would like to explain this, what it means, bring it down to earth so that everybody will see the point. Well, rather than, rather than uh, defining the concept of marginal utility, I just start with the common observation which we all have that people in general, economic actors in general, keep accumulating assets, various assets. They get some and then they get more and more for a very good reason which you don't have to go into but we mentioned it already in the first lecture that uh, senescence, the fact that we get older or the fact that we have children and we want to, young children, we want to provide for their <coughs> education when they come of age or any other reason. Another typical reason is a young man wants to leave the labor force and start his own business, but then he would have to have capital to do that. And in order to have capital, he is going to uh, save. So for whatever reason, but people are accumulating assets. But now that's the great insight of Menger that when they do, when they do accumulate assets, they do it more and more reluctantly because the more they have of some asset, the less attractive it is for them to get an extra portion of that asset, an extra unit of that asset. So there is this, in all of us, if you deny it, you are a liar, because it, if you really examine yourself, you will see that the next unit is going to be less 